Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And we've been doing a series on the cross. What does the cross mean? Um, how does the cross translate into my daily life? And going just from a theological, religious concept of what the cross is to a place where the cross is something that we understand how to take it up uh, on a day-by-day basis. And can I ask a favor? Can someone grab me some water? <laughs> just a cup of water. Thanks, Ann. Um, John chapter 11. And this will be, I think, the last message of this series on the cross. And then, um, then, I, have to, then I go to Poland Tuesday um, to just connect with um, the work that's going on there for the Ukraine. And so this will be really a time that I really wish, would like to have you guys pray for us, pray for me. My wife will be staying behind with Caleb, so try to connect with her. And John chapter 11, verse 20. And I want to read these verses from um, 22 to verse 44. And then I want to skip and I want to look at verse 53 together, okay? So... Um, now, Martha, when she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. Okay, remember that. Thank you. Do you remember the scene here? Lazarus is di- has died. Okay. Oh, there's lemon in there. Mm. Lazarus has died. And uh, <laughs> Lazarus has died. And so here's Jesus. He, is, he has been told a few days earlier that uh, your friend Lazarus, I mean, Jesus had friends. Jesus had close friends. And the last week of his life, he was um, spending in Jerusalem every night. He'd, after a day of preaching and ministry and miracles in Jerusalem, he'd leave the city center and go to this place called Bethany. And there was a little house there where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus lived. And this is where he and all of his disciples just crashed on the floor for the night. And so they got up the next morning and they started their schedule again. And so Lazarus, Mary, and, and Martha were very good friends to Jesus. And I think that's important because Jesus had friends. I think today when we see spiritual leadership, we see pastors, we see people that are in a place of ministry. Uh, we kind of think, well, they don't need friends. They are, they've arrived to a certain plateau of spirituality. And that's so incorrect. Jesus enjoyed godly friendship. And Jesus here had a friend. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus dies. And before he dies, he gets the information, your friend Lazarus is sick. And so I think with any good friend or ourselves, we would probably just beeline to uh, Bethany and to get there and to find out how can he help. I mean, he's, he, he's, he has healed other people. Clearly, he will hear, heal, heal Lazarus, right? Is that the, the assumption that we would make? Jesus healed other people. He actually did miracles. And why, and why is he actually delaying? And so Jesus is delaying his, his arrival, and Mary and Martha, their sisters, their, their brother is dying and then he dies. He passes away. And this is where Mary and Martha begin to try to grapple with tragedy. The inexplicable meaning behind this difficulty that just happened that Lazarus died. Can you imagine the situation here? And I'm thinking about this actually in reference to what we see worldwide politically, the mass injustice that we see that happens, the big questions that that causes, and then dealing with people that are coming out of a war zone that literally have 
different levels of anxiety, panic, and um, PTSD. That also can apply to us here. There are things that happen to you and I at different levels that can be so tragic, so unexpected, so unforeseen, that it really catches us off guard. And then we start a process. We start a process of walking through this tragedy, this difficulty. And so here, Martha, and when she had heard Jesus was coming, I'm going to read through this, the, the text here in verse 20. She went to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will grant you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She got her theology right, but she, she didn't understand the presence of Christ and what he was going to do for her at that moment. Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die forever. Do you believe this? And this is a question that he points to Martha. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God who comes into the world. Okay. And verse 28 And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary privately and saying, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Notice the teacher is here, not the savior or the healer. But at this moment, they only know Jesus as a teacher. And he's calling for you in verse 29. So that one, when she had heard it, got up quickly and went to meet him. Now, Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha went to meet him. So here's Jesus. He's still waiting. He's not coming yet. And he's waiting for Mary to come. And so he's no rush to get there. And verse 31, so the Jews who were with her in the house and were consoling her, when they saw Mary that she stood up quickly and went out, followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb in order to weep there. Then Mary, when she had, when she had come where Jesus was and saw him, fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. You ever pray those kind of prayers? Lord, <laughs> If you were just a bit earlier. And Jesus, verse 33, when he saw her weeping and the Jews who had came with her weeping was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled within himself. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept in verse 35. Jesus wept. So he gets there. He gets to the tomb and he weeps. So the Jews were asking, see how the the Jews were saying in verse 36, see how he loved him. But some of them said, was not this man who opened the eyes of the blind able to do something? So that this man also would not have died. The obvious question here is being asked. Lazarus in verse 38, we see Jesus has a plan. Verse 38, Jesus deeply moved with himself again, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was laying on it. And Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. This, the Martha, the sister of the one who had died, said to him, Lord, he is thinking already because it has been four days. I love how Martha just kind of reminds Jesus how late he is. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> four days. And um, Jesus said to her in verse 40, did I not say to you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said above and said, Father, I give thanks to you that you hear me. And I know that you always hear me for, but for the sake of the crowd standing around, I say it so that they may believe that you sent me. 
43. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The one who had died came the one who had died came out, his feet and his hands bound with the strips of cloth and his face wrapped with a face cloth. And Jesus said to him, untie him and let him go. And let's skip to verse 53. And from that day, the Pharisees from that day resolved that they should kill him, that they should kill Christ. These are some pretty stunning verses, but I want to dig into this a little bit. And I think it's going to really help us grapple with tragedy that we've already been through or maybe that may be in some way preparatory for us. You know, Mary and Martha were facing the same problem that we're really facing today. They were looking at tragedy and saying, where were you, Lord, in all of this? And how do we make sense of this? I think this is the most basic human question we see in the book of Job, one of the oldest books of the Bible, written chronologically wise as far as it was written, is asking the basic question, why? Why? How many of us in this room have had a loved one pass away? Okay, I have. It is, it is a question that you find yourself asking. And we move through tragedy with four, generally with four reactions. When someone was walking through tragedy, there is usually four, uh, four reactions, and sometimes in this order and sometimes not. But number one, there's tears, uh, of course. Number two, there's anger. Uh, number three, there's truth trying to make sense of it all. And then number four, whether we look to God or we don't look to God, we're looking for some redemption. We're looking for some resolution, for some closure. And so first of all, I'd like to just talk about how Jesus did these three things, four things. And number one, the tears of Jesus. And when Jesus reaches Mary, he asks her a big theological question. When, you know, when, when, when Mary sees him, She's saying, Lord, why weren't you here? You could have stopped this. And when she asked him that question, he couldn't even speak. He doesn't answer. And I think this is important because all she does is weep. I think that sometimes when, when, we're, when we're dealing with people or when we are in a place of such brokenness and such, at, at such loss and, and such big questions to God, like, God, you could have prevented this. And yet here you are four or five days late. Jesus does not answer with words. He weeps. And I think this is important because when we think of spiritual maturity, we kind of think sometimes that, um, well, we don't cry anymore or we don't have emotion or we don't, um, we don't react this way. We always have a word to say to somebody. And I think that this, this, this reaction that Jesus has is pretty startling because when Jesus comes into the situation, he comes with two things that we don't have. Number one, he comes in knowing why it happened, and he knows what he's going to do to turn this whole thing around to the glory of God, to the manifestation of God's glory. And he knows what he's going to do, and a few minutes later, there's just going to be lots of rejoicing. And, and we don't have that. We don't have this understanding, like, why is this happening? And we don't really sometimes have words to share with people. And the second thing he has is power. He can do something about the problem, and you and I can't do a thing, um, yet he still weeps. And this is a good question. I think that this is something to ponder. Why is he weeping? Why doesn't he just come in and say, hey, wait until you see what I'm going to do. If you knew what I was going to do in about a few minutes, then you would, you, would like, you would not even be sad right now. And Jesus could have said, and he could have spared his own emotional burden in this situation and said, you know something? I'm not going to get involved because in just a few minutes, this is going to be all forgotten and he's going to be alive again. 
And I think that, that when we face tragedy, when we face difficult situations, we face separation and all the things that we face in a world that is just um, that is that is lying in evil. I think many times we look at the situation and we say, I'm not going to get involved. I can't get involved. What's the use of getting involved? I don't want to I don't want to burden myself emotionally. And I think men, I think we the we as males sometimes look at that. We're logically assessing everything. And we just said, what is all what is the need for all of this emotional engagement? And we can just just kind of like like just logistically kind of lay it all out and kind of spare ourselves of all the emotions because I think sometimes, um, well, people would say that men are, have a lower emotional IQ than, than women. I don't know if that is true or not. I can feel sometimes pretty emotional. But I think that sometimes we look at difficulty, tragedy, uh, just the horror of things and say, you know, this, I, I, I just can't get involved. This, this just, I don't have the capacity. And why do I need to get involved But Jesus does. He walks into the situation. He walks in. Jesus is not afraid to walk into tragedy. He's not afraid to walk into big, big questions. He does, he's not afraid to, to engage people that are really emotionally out of sorts because of these theological questions they have. Why were you not here? And yet he still weeps. And why does he do that? Because Jesus is perfect. He is perfect love. And he will not close his heart even for a few moments. He's not going to shut himself down. He's not going to, he's not going to stop compassion. He's not going to stop this sitting where they sit and walking where they walk. And, and what he does is he just weeps. And I think that sometimes we would say, well, why would he do that? Because mature people don't ever weep. Yet he's falling into grief. I know that some people take that verse and say Jesus wept and he was weeping at the unbelief of people. He was weeping at something else. But I think that when Jesus, the way we know Jesus and if we knew him today and if he was among us, Jesus would weep when Mary's asking big questions. And I think that sometimes we don't have answers. And I know that I've had so many people ask me about, you know, what's happening in Ukraine. I don't have any answers, but I know who God is. And I think that we can just weep with them. And when we, when we understand the tears of Christ, uh, we understand his love is perfect. And he's not, going to, he's not going to be afraid to engage. And I think that when we engage in tragedy, difficulty, and I know some of you have that kind of work where, where you're just facing difficult circumstances, for us to say, you know something, for the grace of God, go I, I step in, and maybe I just weep with this person. And I just hold their hands and I don't promise them anything, you know, I mean, about, I don't know about you guys, but I think sometimes um, my, my desire is that I would try to fix it. Jesus did not try to fix the situation. Jesus did not come in and say, look, I'm going to just change this in a minute. Would you guys just all stop crying? This is so useless. He bears with us as human beings. When we weep, he weeps. And it says in Isaiah, it says in Isaiah, I believe it's 32, it says that when, he, when we are afflicted, God is afflicted. That he shares, he shares our suffering, he shares our affliction. And so the second thing we see that Jesus does, and this is usually, we go from tears, then we go to anger. And I just remember when my mom had suddenly passed away, uh, we didn't, <clears throat> we were not prepared for it. We had just been with her a few days earlier. And it was just amazing, because we have these pictures of my mom when we were eating dinner with her somewhere, and in the picture, 
uh, it just seems like, in, you know, it seems like her face is like glowing. It's like there's a, there's like an, a halo there or an aura or something. I gotta show you the picture. It's just the way the picture was made. And we didn't realize that that would be the last time that we would see her. And when we had, when we had um, gone through the funeral, we had, we had buried her and we had gone through everything. And those that have lost loved ones are going to know what I, what, I'm, what I mean. <clears throat> it wasn't real until we all got in our cars and started driving away from the, uh, from the gravesite. And I remember as we were driving away from the gravesite, I remember just like the whole time, just like, okay, we've got to get this done, do this. Okay, we got these things done. And just trying to get through the whole process. It was me and my brother that was organizing the whole thing. My dad was out of town and, and he had just come into town. And I remember as we drove away from the, the gravesite, it, I felt like, I felt like a, 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 a load of bricks just landed right on my head, on my heart. And I just remember driving the car and just like, I just like, was so overcome with, with grief. And I just, it's like I had like this, I'd never experienced anything like it before. And I just remember having to like pull over and just like, just like in the car, just a total breakdown. And I just remember being there and just thinking this thought, being so angry. I just remember thinking I had this anger and I had this deep, deep anger. And, and, and later on, like, if you've ever grieved, and by the way, we need to grieve. There's times when it's okay to grieve. It's okay to break down. There's, there's times when we grieve and that, that is healthy. And if we don't grieve properly, then that can really mess us up psychologically. It can mess up our soul. And, and during this time, I remember having this anger. And, and when we look at suffering, the suffering of Jesus, we look at him and he, he has this moment. And we don't really read anywhere right here that Jesus is angry. We see words like, in verse 33, um, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. But the original Greek here means to quake with rage. <laughs> wow, what an uncut, I mean, to, to be angry, to be like, to be so angry, to be shaking, to be so affected by anger, to be rage. And in verse 38, as Jesus comes to the tomb, he says, it says he was deeply moved as well. And the Greek word there means to to. To, to be angry like, like, a, like a lion. How can we understand that? Why is Jesus angry here? And who is Jesus angry at? And if you and I have ever lost someone, maybe they're still alive, but we're separated from them. Uh, maybe there's just a disconnection in a relationship. Or maybe there's a great loss, and we're experiencing this separation as if somebody died, yet they're still alive. And there's almost this, these moments of tears, and then there's these moments of just anger. And I think that we need to understand what is Jesus angry at here? Well, first of all, there's two things that Jesus does not do in his anger. Um, number one, he doesn't, he does, he's not one of Job's friends where he goes to, to Mary and Martha and says, clearly, if you were not living right, I mean, if you were living right, God, you, you know, this wouldn't have happened to your brother. God must be judging you for your sins and those bad things. And these bad things would not be happening. And, and it's like, you know, he's not mad at him. He's not at people. And also he's not mad at himself. Why is he not mad at himself? Because Jesus had the power to heal him before he died. Now, up until this time, there is not a record here that Jesus has risen anybody from the dead. So everybody's thinking, okay, this is done. He's in the tomb. The, 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 tomb, the, the tomb is closed. And Jesus is experiencing this anger. And for us to understand how to walk through tragedy and how to walk through lingering anger, that, that just seems to be so unresolved. And sometimes people are angry. We don't know why they're angry. 
but there may have been such a great separation in their life, some kind of disconnect that, that they can't resolve. And so for us, for us to deal with anger, we need to have the right storyline. Okay, you ever, like, when we look at, for example, 9-11, what happened in 9-11, or when we see what's happening in Ukraine, or when we look at some tra- world tragedy or COVID, um, I think what people do to grapple with what happened is to just develop a timeline. Okay, what happened? Okay, well, this happened. This is where we first get the first report. Then this is happening. And we kind of just lay it all out. And there's a storyline. What the world is doing and what the enemy of your soul is doing is trying to give you a narrative that has nothing to do with biblical perspective. You understand? What the world is trying to do and what the enemy of your soul is trying to do because it does not want us to understand the comfort that we have in God and to what the comfort is at the cross is that we would have a narrative or a storyline that is just not correct, that is, in, that is not biblical. And the first, the first kind of, people come up with diff- different kinds of storylines. The first one is that this tragic thing happened because people are being judged for their sins. God is punishing us. We have to blame the victims. And the second storyline is just to, de- to demonize people. Um, we represent goodness, yet they are absolute evil. And we see that on TV. You see this in the, in the news that it's just a continuation, a continual narrative of we are the good people. Our party is great. We are the good people. We're on this side of the party. Uh, we're on this side of, the, uh, of political um, convictions, and they are not. So they are the evil people. And I think that that word evil is so used so incorrectly because evil is much different than, than I think a lot of times what people are pointing at. And the storyline is, is that um, we have to demonize our we have to demonize our enemy. Right now, in Ukraine, we have Ukrainian pastors and Christians that are there that have to grapple with this because we also have they also have brothers and sisters that are Russian that are in that are in Russia that still have access to social media. And I have not been in that position. I have never been in a situation where they are at. And so I can't judge anything that's going on, but there must be these moments. I personally have these moments where I look at, you know, I look at what's going on and I think, how can this, how can these people be doing this to this, to these people? And I think that we need to understand what is the timeline and what is the perspective? Jesus does not conform to this timeline. He doesn't, he doesn't focus his rage on people or his rage at the doctors that couldn't take care of Lazarus to prevent him from death, or he doesn't, he's not angry at the Roman government, you know, creating this, this oppressive society now in, in, in Israel where there's not that help that Lazarus needed, nor is he angry at Martha and Mary. Jesus is not even angry at himself because even though he had the power to change the situation, he did not. He was angry. He directed his anger at one thing, and that anger is the tomb. Death. He was angry at death. And I remember as we were driving away from my mom's graveyard, um, grave, I remember pulling over and being so angry. And I remember saying to my wife, I, and I don't remember how I said it, but I remember being so angry at death. And, and, and when I said that, there, there, was a, there was that word why was in there. Why? Why death? You know? And as a human being, in the moment of separation, there are these foundational questions that come up like Mary and like Martha. And by the way, when people come to you with very basic theological questions that, that you know 
that they have been taught and that they know thousands of Bible verses about, and they come and say, Lord, and it may actually sound like an accusation to you. Why were you not here? And Jesus doesn't take it personally. Jesus has a higher purpose here. And so don't take it personally. And then Jesus says, Jesus is focusing his rage and his anger at death. Why? When, I'll explain. When you see someone that has died because of the result of drugs or, or, or intoxication in a car accident, or you see someone passing because of just some very dumb decisions in their life, you're not necessarily angry at that person. You could be, but I think we're more angry at the bottle. We're more angry at the drugs. We're more angry at whatever the circumstance was that caused that death. We are angry at death. And we're angry at death because there's a part of you and I that was made to live forever. And we're the only creatures in creation that has this concept of eternity. Like when an animal dies, it's no, it knows it's dying and it's, this is its end. And animals have, a, it seems that animals, the ones that I've seen die, seems to have more of a, 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 an acceptance, uh, understanding this is the end of their life. And, and that's it. And that is it for them. I'd like to believe that animals go to heaven. And I do have a thought about that. And sometimes you can ask me. Um, because when we lost our dog, this cr- also created a whole like, what, you know, my son's asked me, will we see our dog again? <laughs> so we just have to have like a theological understanding. Okay, what does the Bible say about doggies that, go, that die and go to heaven? Or, or where do they go? Um, Jesus here is angry at death. He's not an angry at people. And he knows how to direct his anger. And so Jesus is thinking in his mind, he's understanding that he's going to take this death and turn it into a resurrection. And this is where the gospel comes in. And this is where we begin to speak to ourselves about the truth. This is, this is, Jesus does not have just the ministry of tears and he doesn't have just the ministry of anger, but he also has a ministry of truth. And when we are, when we are tearful and when we are angry, we're looking for what is the purpose of this? What is the truth of this? And the truth is this, Jesus goes to Martha and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And this is the gospel, Right? And so really the first question that we have to ask people when we're talking about death in their life, someone who has died, we need to bring up Christ and the, res- and, and the gospel. We need to make sure, Jesus here is making sure that Martha understands who he is. Before we can counsel somebody in tragedy, before we can say, you know something, we're going to get those evil people and they're going to all die and they're going to be all massacred, whatever, whatever. Before, we can, before anyone could ever get into that, there, the question needs to be addressed do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your personal savior? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life? And Jesus here is taking Mary out of the situation. I'm sorry, Martha, out of the circumstance. Martha is stuck in the circumstance. She's stuck in time. If you were here earlier, if you were here earlier, if you had just like somehow submitted to the, 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 the material world of time and circumstances and scheduling, it would have been so much different. And Jesus is saying, guys, you... Like, I am not, you're stuck in time, you're stuck in circumstances, you're stuck in your perspectives, you're stuck in all of this, and I will weep with you, but you need to understand, this is not where we, we are, we are not there, we are at another level. We are, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he says, he says that, you know, he says to her, he's, gonna, he's, he's going to rise. And, and I, it's really amazing, like, don't you think that Jesus knew that when he was raising Lazarus from the dead, um, that he knew this in his mind? Um, Jesus didn't say, he didn't say to, um, he didn't say to, and we were talking about this yesterday in outreach. 
he said this to, Jesus said, said this to Martha. What he didn't say was, Martha, it's going to be okay. I want to comfort you. You're great. You're a great sister. You did all you could. Lazarus is in a better place. I mean, all the things that we say to people so that we can feel better about contributing to the circumstance. And Jesus does not offer consolation. Like some of us want to fix the situation. I do at least. Uh, and I think that we live in a culture, American culture, which is, there's a lot of sympathy in our culture. I mean, there's some cultures where you go, there's not a lot of sympathy. And, and like even in Eastern Europe and some of the places where we've lived, if, you're, if you've been diagnosed with a terminal disease, um, the doctors will not tell you. The doctors are going to tell your family because they don't want to, and I don't understand why that works, but they're going to tell the family and the, t- and the family may or may not tell that person, the you that has that terminal d- disease that you're going to die. Because I think it's because, because I think people want to console people rather than telling them the truth. Jesus does not offer consolation. He doesn't say, you know, it's going to be okay. We're all going to be great. We're going to get through this together, better together. Jesus says something else. He says, it's, he said, I had to let Lazarus die. I had to let the whole thing fall apart. I had to let it just, I, I had to let the circumstance come to such a hopeless state that I could prove to you something, that I'm more than time, I'm more than circumstance, I'm more than the money you have in your pocket, I'm more than the medicines that you have, you have access to. I am the resurrection and I am the life. And it's very interesting because when Jesus started doing this, when he started taking, talking like this, hope began in the hearts of Mary and Martha. And we can see that, that at this point, from that day on, they plotted to take his life because they understood that this man is trouble. Lastly, Jesus here, as he's talking about the, 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 the truth, when we, when we talk to somebody about truth, um, we're telling them like, yes, in Acts 27, your ship is going to sink. The whole thing's going to sink. I mean, the entire ship's going to be destroyed. But if you listen to me, Paul says, if you listen to me and listen to the words of the man of God, if you listen to the words of the person who knows God, you will be, you're going to get through this. You're going to be saved. And so this is a truth having the right timeline that, okay, this is going to happen. I don't understand why, but I'm going to lay my questions at the feet of Christ and I'm going to listen to him. And what he says is I'm going to not going to bring in consolation. I'm not going to even try to bring in a better Lazarus, but I'm going to bring a resurrection. Jesus here is saying, I've not come to take you out of the earth and circumstances in earth to place in heaven but i'm here to bring power to you while you're here in heaven while you're here on earth i'm here to bring heaven to earth i'm here to bring the kingdom of god into your into your conversation into your behavior and at that point they we begin to understand that you know something maybe the whole situation has died instead of me living in my flesh and me living in natural reactions and understandable understandable questions we look at christ and we get occupied with Christ and we commune with him. And then the fourth thing happens after we start to understand the truth of the situation. Okay, Lazarus is, is dead. Okay. And Jesus is saying he's going to rise again. And Martha understands, okay, theologically I understand there's a resurrection coming. You know, in eschatology, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. I understand that. But Martha doesn't, under, <clears throat> doesn't understand the presence of Christ. He doesn't understand, she doesn't understand who Jesus is in her midst. And lastly, Jesus does this. He starts to bring in redemption. So Martha understands, okay, I understand it's going to happen. I understand truth, but how is this going to be redeemed? You know, and, I, and, you know, I talk to Ukrainians and I, 
I'm sorry I talk about Ukraine so much. It's just so much a part of our lives, my wife and I. And, you know, there are moments where our pastors are just, it's obviously very hard. And I was talking to them a couple days ago. And, you know, like our Ukrainians now, there's most of them, except for the men, have left Ukraine. And the churches that we have there are now no longer churches. It's just a pastor living in a neighborhood. And you can almost, and I shared with these guys, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because I think of 30 years of hard work that we did and the churches we planted and the people and the families and the kids and the teenagers are like now all on the run. And the Lord just comforted me and just showed me that like this is not the end. Because after this, after the, whenever this ends in Ukraine, whenever this ends, or whenever the tragedy in your life or that long process of the four days where you're waiting for Jesus to show up and do something and people are dying and you're asking big questions and you have all these emotions. During this time, the Lord wants to speak hope into our life. And I remember we were on, the, on a Zoom call and, I, and I, it just dawned on me. I said, guys, I said, number, I, two things. Number one, do you remember how we used to pray that God would just send missionaries out of Ukrainian missionaries out of Ukraine into, into Europe and into the rest of the world? preaching and teaching and making disciples. I said, it's happening right now. <laughs> like they're all, I mean, everybody's leaving Ukraine. They've got to leave Ukraine. And this is like a, such, I said, guys, we, we've been praying for this and God had to create a war for us to, you know, to get people out of the, out of the Ukraine. And number two, when we look back and when this is over, we have a, there's going to be something so incredible that's going to happen. And I'll tell you why I think, and it's because Right now, probably up to 5 million Ukrainians are going to be leaving the country. I'm thinking of it's like now 2.5 million, probably double that. And we're going to have two, uh, 5 million of 48 or 49 million Ukrainians. Um, 5 million of them are going to be gone, and maybe even more. And then there's of those that have died. Right now, there is a situation where there are buildings, resources, cars, shops that are just empty that are not being used there's going to come a time in the future in the near future and i just talked with our team about this our u.s team that's helping with all of this i said guys there's going to be a moment when it's going to be time to rebuild it's going to be and people are going to i really believe that the people are going to be handing us buildings they're going to be handing us vehicles they're going to be handing us resources that have just been abandoned and then people are going to be saying could you just you can use this building if you could just pay for the heat and the water and utilities you can do whatever you want in it. I believe that something so new and so fresh is going to happen. And when we started talking like that, we could see hope coming into the hearts of our people there. And now, as refugees, they're talking about having a missional thought for the gospel in Ukraine for the future. Here's the redemption. I want to close with this. After Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he's, they plot to take his life. And, and Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that they were going to, from that time on, plot to take his life, to kill him. And as Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead, um, Jesus does this as a li- deliberate choice. He knew that the only way to interrupt Lazarus's funeral was to cause his own. The only way to bring Lazarus out of the grave was to bury himself. Jesus was putting himself in a place where Lazarus is going to rise, but he himself is going to be in a place where it's going to be a a path to death. And isn't this a picture of the finished work, the gospel, that we have a God who's so committed to ending suffering and death that he was willing to come into the world 
and share in that suffering and death. He did not step in. Jesus didn't say, well, I'm not going to get involved because in 10 minutes, Lazarus is going to be alive. And so God knows what separation is. God knows tragedy. God knows to know what it feels like to have a, his son murdered. <clears throat> God does care because God lost his son to an unjust attack. When we look at the crucifixion, we can say this was unjust. God knows. God has something to say to people who are suffering. I just want to finish with this, is that he cares. God is not remote. He's not away from us. He's not far from us. And that's why Jesus can speak to Mary with tears and no words, and he can talk to Martha with some pretty strong words about some theological points. And when, we're, when we find ourselves walking through tears and anger, and we're walking, we're looking for a proper storyline, and we're looking for some redemption in the whole thing. Just re- remember the redemption in, the, in this is that God has walked through this, and that we can walk through it as well, because we can't promise people that things are going to be great, and we can't say it's all going to be rosy, the Lord's going to bless you, and I wish, and I bet he will, and God does, does, does things like to us, like that to us. But our message really it was the message of the first 100 years of the church, and that was, Jesus, who was crucified, will be resurrected, and he rose on the third day. And that is our message today. Our hope to people is that, oh, the whole thing may be ruined now. We have a resurrection to look forward to. That, we, this is, that death is not the end for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.